boldness. Uh, This is the characteristic that's currently missing in the lives of many Christians. And while the born-again believer should be brimming with boldness as we set out to accomplish the great commission of Christ Jesus, you know, it's sad to say that the 21st century church is actually filled with fearful Christians. Fearful Christians who would rather remain silent about our Savior in order to, to avoid being canceled by the, you know, tolerant culture in which we live. And while it's true that we've all been called as Christians to preach the good news of God's grace, uh, there are many who would rather hide their relationship with Jesus in order to avoid being rejected by all of their, let's just say, open-minded friends. That being the case, you know, it's my hope that this study tonight will help us to become the bold believers that we ought to be. And with this as the goal, I want to spend our time tonight considering an incredible example of what it looks like to become a bold believer. If you would, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 4. And as you make your way to the fourth chapter of Acts, I just want to take a moment to present you with a basic working definition of the word boldness. And specifically, in the context of uh, our Christian walk, uh, the word boldness refers to the fearless confidence and the cheerful courage that enables us to go out and speak the truth without worrying about the responses and the repercussions. In light of this definition, we should take a moment to examine our own lives by asking, you know, am I a bold believer? Am I a bold believer? Or am I allowing the fear of rejection to silence the message of our Messiah? Am I courageously sharing the good news about our Savior? Or am I allowing the pressure of possible persecution to stop me from sharing the gospel of grace. Well, with these questions in mind, I'd like to take a moment to point out that boldness, it shouldn't be confused with impolite disrespect. Boldness isn't disrespectful, or or, or boldness shouldn't be confused with brash rudeness. You can be a bold believer without being a jerk about it. Boldness, in a biblical sense, is a Christ-centered courage, that helps us to continue accomplishing the Great Commission even in the face of certain persecution. And it's here in Acts chapter 4. Here we find Peter and John demonstrating this sort of incredible courage on the day they found themselves standing on trial before the religious leaders, who uh, the same ones who had called for the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. Now with that, if you would look with me here at Acts chapter 4, I want to begin reading there at verse 1. Here the religious leaders of Israel asked, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Now, here in the opening verses of this chapter, we find Peter and John. They're creating a bit of a disturbance there at the temple in Jerusalem. This actually took place shortly after they healed a lame man by the power of the Holy Spirit. This had attracted a crowd, and so Peter at that point began to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we 
consider the response of the crowd, we see here that the message of our, our Messiah is entirely polarizing. The gospel of grace will always polarize people into one of two groups. And it's here in our text today that, that we see that there was the group of those who were ready to receive the gospel message of Jesus Christ. At the same time, though, uh, there were also those who were so triggered, they were so triggered by the message of the cross that they determined to put Peter and John into the deepest, darkest dungeon that they could find. Notice with me again right there in verse 2. Here again we learn that the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees were greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were greatly disturbed. That word disturbed, well, it can also be translated offended, or as we might put it today, they were triggered. They were upset. The religious leaders of Israel were so offended by the gospel message of God's grace that they just decided they're, they're going to arrest Peter and John. They laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day. And, you know, this reminds me of the point uh, that Paul was making in Galatians chapter 5. There we learn that the message of the cross is an offense to those who don't want to hear it. The gospel message is offensive to those who don't want to know about our Savior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul also tells us that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And with that being the case, you know, we, we shouldn't be surprised when angry unbelievers begin to persecute those who preach the gospel of grace. We, to them, are the odor of death. With that being the case, you know, we should take some time to consider how Peter and John responded to those who had placed them under arrest. If you would look with me again here at Acts chapter 4, we'll begin reading there at verse 5 here. Luke tells us that it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked... By what power or by what name have you done this? Now, I'll remind you that Peter and John had been arrested for preaching the gospel of grace. And it's here in these verses where we find the religious leaders there in Israel. They're interrogating Peter and John with questions about the source of, of their spiritual authority and power. They want to know, who, by whose authority are you saying these things? And by what power did you heal that guy? It's also important for us to remember that you know, these were the same religious leaders who had called for the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. So, so these weren't paper tigers. These were, these were leaders who were ready to bring people to the end of their life if they didn't obey. That being the case, I have no doubt that Peter and John both realized that these men could easily call for the Romans to come and arrest them and crucify them as well. I just want to take a moment to place ourselves in their sandals. Just put yourself in their shoes for a minute. You know, just imagine that you were Peter or you were John in this situation. What, what would you do? What would you do in the same situation? Would you have the boldness to continue proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ? Or would you allow the fear of persecution to keep you from preaching the gospel of grace? 
With this question in mind, I want to consider the way that Peter responds to this interrogation. If you would, let's pick up our study of Acts chapter 4. Look with me there, beginning at verse 8. Here Luke declares, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, I'm sorry, and I'll post a response on YouTube as soon as possible, letting you know that I'm going to... No, that's not what happened. With all boldness, he declares in verse 9, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead... By him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, and nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here in these verses we find the apostle Peter, he's boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And the reason why is because Jesus Christ is the only one who's able to save us from the punishment that we deserve. I'm sure we all realize that this is an entirely offensive message to those who insist that all of the religions of the world are equally valid. There are those who, who want us to believe in universalism and, and the idea that you know all religious systems are equally valid ways to approach God. And so the, for the Christian to come along and say, Jesus is the only way, Jesus is the only name by which we can be saved, they're offended, they're triggered by this. They want to call us closed-minded. And yet to them I would ask, did Buddha die for us? Did Muhammad die for us? Did Krishna receive the crucifixion that we deserved? Did Zoroaster, did Joseph Smith, did did Charles Taze Russell, did Pope John Paul, did any of these people die for us? The answer is no. They, They didn't. And even had they tried, they would have to first pay for their own sins. So how could they pay for ours? But Jesus is our sinless Savior who came, God incarnate, Emmanuel, lived a sinless life, and then offered himself up as a sacrifice for our sins. So yeah, he's the only way. The other religious leaders can't save us. And the reason why is because not one of them came to receive the punishment that we deserve. Therefore, they can't help us escape the justice of God. But but thankfully for us, the Lord Jesus came and he took the punishment that we deserve there on the cross so that we could receive the forgiveness that we don't deserve. Uh, I realize that this is an extremely unpopular message to say that Jesus is the only way. There are those who will insist that the Christian faith is far too narrow. And knowing that the outspoken Christian who preaches this message is going to be rejected by those who are offended at the name of Jesus Christ, it's for this reason that we must become bold believers. 
We haven't been called to become shy wallflowers who are sitting in silence for fear of rejection. We must become bold believers who are following in the footsteps of Peter, who, who courageously proclaimed the gospel of peace to the priests, who actually had the ability to punish them with the pain of persecution, even to the point of crucifixion. Peter took that stand with all boldness, and that boldness was recognized by the leaders there in Israel. As a matter of fact, let's, let's consider the way that they respond to the courageous you know, uh, message of, of this Christian named Peter. Look with me there at verse 13. Here we learn that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Here in this verse, we find Luke describing the response of those religious leaders who heard the message presented by Peter. Knowing that Peter and John were both unskilled men who who came from a blue-collar background. This added to their amazement as they considered the boldness of Peter's witness. And as they tried to make sense of all this, they realized that, you know, these guys hadn't been to cemetery, I mean seminary, you know, they, they had simply been with Jesus. Christian, listen, you don't have to be a seminary graduate so that you can go out and play, uh, you know, proclaim the gospel of grace. You don't have to become a Bible scholar before you go out and, and, and present your testimony of how Jesus saved you. Trust me when I tell you that those who want to become bold believers should simply spend time with Jesus. If you want to be a bold believer, spend more time with Jesus through the spiritual discipline of daily prayer and daily Bible study and fellowship. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we will become like him. We were predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is here to transform our lives, to make us more like Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus was no sissy. Jesus Christ was, you know, no shy guy who was afraid to speak the truth. Jesus wasn't lacking when it came to the character of boldness. To prove my point, I'll remind you of the way that Jesus rebuked the religious leaders there in Israel. Just to give you a few examples, he called them hypocrites over and over and over again. He referred to them as fools and blind leaders of the blind. He compared them to whitewashed tombs that were all nice and shiny on the outside, but inside full of dead men's bones. He referred to them as a brood of vipers and informed them that they deserved the condemnation that they would eventually receive. And I'm just scratching the surface of all the bold things that Jesus said to the religious leaders there in Israel. Without debate, Jesus spoke the truth with fearless confidence and with cheerful courage. Matthew tells us that the people were astonished at his teachings because he taught them as one having Authority. You see, the scribes would come and teach, and they would always quote this rabbi and quote that scribe. And they were hoping that they would have more authority by relying on quotes from others. 
But when Jesus taught, he would come along and say, you've heard this, but I say to you this. He spoke with authority. And the people were amazed because he spoke boldly. That's how John describes it. They were, they were amazed because he spoke boldly and, and the religious leaders weren't able to challenge his teachings. He would say some very bold things to them and the religious leaders had to just sit on their hands. They didn't even know how to respond. The Pharisees were quick to confess that Christ Jesus taught the way of truth and he, and he did this without being swayed by the opinions of others. How many times do you change your words, skewing what you say from what you actually believe because of the pressure that comes from the opinions of the people that you're with? How often do you pull a punch or sit in silence because you know the opinion of the other person is in conflict with what you believe? Jesus didn't do that. You want to become more like Jesus? Then say the truth. Say what is true. Say it lovingly. But don't alter your words or pull a punch or or pull back from a truth simply because of the opinion of the person who's standing in front of you. That's not bold at all. As we consider the courageous boldness of the Lord Jesus Christ, you better believe that those who spend time with our Savior will become more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, we will become bold believers because Jesus was was bold. To further prove my point, let's continue to consider a few more examples of the way in which those who follow Jesus will boldly proclaim the gospel of grace. And yes, even if our bold words cause us to be canceled by the culture around us. With this as the focus, let's jump forward one chapter to Acts chapter 5. See, it's here in the fifth chapter of Acts where we find all of the apostles being locked up in prison for doing the same exact thing. They're preaching the message of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Look with me here at Acts chapter 5. I want to begin reading there at verse 15. Or I'm sorry, verse 17. Here Luke tells us that the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, And they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now let's just take a moment here to consider this situation. The apostles here had been arrested for preaching the gospel there at the temple. It was there in the middle of the night, probably as they were praying. I don't know what patron saint you would pray to to get a prison break. Because I'm not a Catholic. But, you know, I'm guessing they were praying to Jesus. And Jesus sends an angel to go and, and spring them from the pokey, so to speak. And then this angel says to them to, to, to go back. Go back to the scene of the crime. Go back to the place where you were arrested and start doing the thing that got you arrested. Yeah, imagine that. Go back to where you got arrested and do the same thing that got you arrested. Incredible. What would you do? Would you be like, yeah, no thanks. That's enough prison time for me. 
Would you flee from the scene in order to maintain your freedom? Or would you walk in the courage of Christ Jesus by returning to the scene of the crime, preaching the message that got you arrested? With these questions in mind, let's consider the decision made by these apostles. If you would look with me here at Acts chapter 5, we'll pick up at verse 21. Here Luke writes, And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. How incredible is this? Rather than fleeing for their freedom, the apostles went right back into the temple, and it was there where they continued to boldly preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Imagine for a moment the amount of courage that it took them to just go back and take this stand all over again, knowing that they're just going to be arrested again. Consider the courage. In order to grasp this level of courage that it took for them to leave their prison cell and just return to the temple, I just want to spend a second considering the level of courage that we would need just to share the gospel of grace with the unbelievers that we know here in this time when preaching the gospel won't get us arrested at all. How much courage do we actually need just to witness to a coworker? How bold do we have to be to actually just share our faith with our unbelieving friends? What level of boldness does it actually take to go out to the campus and preach the gospel to unbelieving college students? I mean, what are they going to do? Laugh at you? What, what's the worst that could happen? They disagree with you? It's not like they can call the cops and say, hey, come arrest these people. They're preaching the gospel. The amount of courage that it takes for us to be bold believers here in this day and age, very little, very little. Doesn't take much. And yet so many in the church today are so scared. It's like the devil's defeated us. Well, I might lose my job. Listen, there are billions of jobs available right now. Everywhere I look, help wanted signs. What kind of courage does it actually take, Christian, here in 21st century America to preach the gospel? Well, they might call me names on Twitter. Well, you think they don't already? Listen, if they're going to call me names, I'd rather them call me names for Jesus Christ's sake than for some other reason. What kind of boldness does it really take to be an outspoken believer here in the 21st century in America? You better believe that it took a huge amount of boldness and massive amounts of courage for these guys to go right back to the temple knowing that they're just going to get arrested again and possibly sent to the cross. 
With all this in mind, I want to continue to consider the events that Luke records here in Acts chapter 5. Look with me here, beginning at verse 26. Here we learn that the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter... And the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. I love it. I I think this was possibly the first mic drop ever. Peter and all the apostles had so much courage that they were just kind of like, you know, hey, look, there's a conflict here between you and God. Yeah, we're going to obey God. With great courage, they took a stand for the great commission of Christ Jesus that they had, they had been called to accomplish. And, and while it's true that the religious rulers of Israel were, were doing their best to silence the saints of God, the disciples of the Lord became bold believers as they proclaimed their allegiance to the Lord. I think it's with this in mind that the devil finally came to grips with the fact that, you know, if you really press Christians in this sort of way, it just gives them more courage. And so I believe the enemy has been using a different route to silence the saints by tricking us into thinking that we need to somehow fit in with this world and then by leading us to believe that if we preach the gospel, then we won't fit in. It's pretty sneaky. And yet so many of us have fallen for it. We haven't been called to fit in with this world. We haven't been called, you know, to make lifelong friends. We've been called to make Everlasting converts. We need to be bold believers in order to accomplish this. We should also notice the, the, the courage of the apostles as they turn the tables on the religious rulers by accusing them of being the murderers of our Messiah. As a matter of fact, look with me again here at Acts chapter 5. We'll pick up our study beginning at verse 30. Here Peter declares, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Now here in these verses, we find Peter accusing the religious rulers of Israel of murdering the promised Messiah of Israel. Imagine for a moment that you're standing before a group of men who actually have the authority to call for your execution. And all you have to do to escape their murderous rage is to just just submit to their authority. Just be quiet, submit to their authority, and you can move on down the road. How much courage would it take for you to ignore their commands, and not only ignore their commands, but then turn around and accuse them of being the murderers of the Messiah? Without debate, this would take an incredible amount of courage. And listen, this isn't the only biblical example of what it looks like to become bold believers by faith in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the early church was filled with bold believers who were willing to die. They were willing to die for their faith in Jesus Christ. 
a matter of fact, the early church was filled with bold believers who were willing uh, to just lay down their lives. For example, let's flip two, uh, two chapters forward. I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 7. Here we find another story of a bold believer. His name is Stephen. As you make your way to there to Acts 7, it'll help you to remember that Stephen was one of the first deacons to be raised up there in the church of Jerusalem. And not only that, but it was within his first year of ministry when Stephen was then brought up on charges of blasphemy. And according to Luke, you know, the religious rulers set up false witnesses who accused Stephen of speaking blasphemous words against the temple and against the law. And so it's throughout Acts chapter 7 where we find Stephen, he's presenting his accusers with a brief summary about the, the history of Israel. And, and he's helping them to understand, look, I, I've got the fact straight. I know who we are. I know what the law is about. And, and basically he's presenting them with a history lesson, uh, you know, about how the uh, leaders of Israel were constantly guilty of rejecting the leading of the Holy Spirit by killing the prophets. And, and after recapping the history of Israel, Stephen then courageously takes a stand against these religious rulers. As a matter of fact, look with me here at Acts chapter 7. I want to draw your attention to verse 51. Here Stephen declares, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Wow. As we consider his words and the boldness of this accusation, there should be no doubt in our minds that Stephen was an extremely bold believer. Well, it would have been easy for him to avoid further punishment by telling them what they just wanted to hear. He didn't do that. Stephen risked everything as he rebuked the religious rulers who had called for the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. As a result, Stephen became the first believer to be martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And yet in the face of certain death, Stephen continued to stand with Christian courage. As a matter of fact, look with me again here at Acts chapter 7. We'll pick up at verse 54. Here Luke writes, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on, the, on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Here in the final moments of Stephen's life here on earth, you know, we find an excellent example of Christian courage. The Christian courage of Stephen was not only seen in the boldness that enabled him to, to take a stand for biblical convictions. The Christian courage of Stephen could also be seen in the boldness that enabled him to demonstrate the Christ-like compassion uh, that led him to pray for those who were actually stoning him to death. We should also consider how 
the courageous courage of Stephen ended up making an impact on a Pharisee named Saul. Look with me again here at Acts chapter 7. I want to back up and begin reading there at verse 57. Here again we learn that they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Here in these verses we find Saul the Pharisee giving his consent to the stoning of Stephen. And you might not know this, but Saul the Pharisee actually became Paul the Christian. Now we can't say for certain, but I'm pretty sure that the courageous character of Stephen actually ended up making a lasting impact on the mind of Saul, who was converted and became Paul. It's not a stretch of the imagination to to believe that the Lord used the martyrdom of Stephen and the message that he preached that led up to his martyrdom. I believe the Lord used that to help the Pharisee named Saul to realize that Jesus is, in fact, the promised Messiah. As we consider the way that the boldness of Stephen probably impacted the life of Saul so that he was converted and became Paul, I want you to understand that the Christian who fails to become a bold believer will also end up having very little impact on the unbelievers that are within our sphere of influence. The Christian who fails to become a bold believer will make little to no impact on the lives of the people around them. Conversely, the Christian who courageously takes a stand with our Savior Jesus, well, this is the Christian who becomes a bold believer, and the bold believer will help others to see that Jesus is, in fact, the only hope that we have to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I know there's lots of Christians who are praying and praying and praying and praying for their unbelieving loved ones to get saved. But when will you just become bold enough to go and tell them that they're sinners and they need Jesus Christ to be saved? And when will you have the boldness to continue saying that until they try to stone you to death? You want, you want to make an impact on, on the people that you love, the, the unbelievers in your life? Be bold. Be a bold believer. And I'm not saying be rude, and I'm not saying being, be arrogant, and I'm not suggesting that, that we're, we go and become mean Christians. But we need to be bold and have confidence that what we believe is the truth and the courage to present it to them. See, it's the courageous Christian who takes a stand with Jesus Christ who is also the bold believer that makes an impact on the lives of others. To further prove my point, let's consider the way in which the boldness of Stephen impacted Paul's life and and left a lasting impression. And with this as the focus, let's flip forward in our Bibles now to Acts chapter 21. And as you make your way to the 21st chapter of Acts, I just want to take a moment to remind you that Saul the Pharisee became Paul the Christian missionary. And, And those who spend time studying the life of this former Pharisee will quickly realize that Paul was a man who became a bold believer and a bold believer who was willing to die 
for the sake of our Savior. We find the evidence of this right here in Acts chapter 21. Look with me there, beginning at verse uh, there in the middle of verse 10, where Luke tells us that a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am, not, uh, for I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. Here in these verses, we find Paul spending some time with the Christians at the church there in Caesarea. And it was during this visit when, when a man with the gift of prophecy, his name was Agabus, he presented Paul with a word of warning in this kind of, a, you know, a interesting way. The Holy Spirit, though, was speaking through Agabus and was informing Paul that if he went to Jerusalem, that he would end up being bound in chains. But rather than allowing this prophetic warning to dissuade him, Paul took courage by insisting that he was willing to die in Jerusalem for the sake of our Savior. Without debate, Paul was a courageous Christian who provides us with an excellent example of what it looks like to become bold believers. At the same time, Paul was also a humble Christian who realized that his boldness wasn't natural. And this really is important for us to grasp here tonight. Paul recognized that his boldness wasn't a natural boldness. And he realized that he needed supernatural boldness from the Lord. And it's for this reason that he actually asked the Christians at the church in Ephesus to pray for him so that he could continue to be, to be bold for the Lord. As a matter of fact, it's in Ephesians chapter 6. Here in verse 19, Paul presents this prayer request by declaring, pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. As we consider this prayer request, we can see here that Paul was a man who recognized that he needed help in being bold. Paul was asking the Christians there in Ephesus to, to pray for him. I can only imagine Paul thinking back to the boldness of Stephen and, and just praying, oh Lord, help me to be that bold. Help me to have this kind of courage. And Paul asked these Christians at the church in Ephesus to pray for him so that he could be bold as he shared the gospel message. As we consider the prayer request that Paul was presenting, you know, it should only go uh, without saying that if Paul needed prayer so that he could continue accomplishing his calling with boldness, then doesn't it also stand to reason we ought to be praying for each other as well so that we might become bold believers? Listen, you are not going to conjure up this kind of boldness in your flesh. In your flesh... You cannot manufacture this kind of boldness. This is a supernatural boldness. 
in our flesh, we can manufacture boldness, you know, for being a sports fan. You know, I, I still see people wearing Dallas Cowboy t-shirts, and I think, man, that's bold. That is some boldness right there. They haven't been winning since the 80s, and, and, and still you're a fan. That's carnal boldness. You know, I mean, you can manufacture carnal boldness, but your flesh will never be bold for Jesus. I guarantee you that. Your flesh would much rather be bold for whatever silly things are happening in this world. I see people arguing about nothing online, you know, just boldly arguing for no good reason. Yeah, your flesh will always be bold for carnal things. Your flesh will never be bold for Christian things. Your flesh will always cower when it comes to Christianity and when it comes to the Great Commission. And it's for this reason that we need supernatural boldness to do what the Lord is calling us to do. And what is he calling us to do? Well, it's found here in Matthew chapter 28. It's verse 18. Here Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. As we consider the great commission of Christ Jesus, we must recognize that we will not have the natural boldness that we need to accomplish the great commission. And it's for this reason that so many in the church today just don't do it. They, they, they feel like they, they're the Christian that exists in some sort of loophole that frees them from this go therefore. Well, that's, that's just for the bold believers. No, it's for every believer. We've all been called to go, therefore, and make disciples. This is the great commission, not the great suggestion. And Jesus was helping his disciples to become bold believers by directing them to go. You know, I, I, I constantly hear people in the sports world, you know, screaming, let's go, let's go. Would it be to God that Christians would begin to cry out, let's go. As we go reach the lost with the gospel message. Every Christian has been called to go and accomplish the great commission. And of course, this begins when we preach the gospel of grace so that the unbelievers within our sphere of influence might be saved by faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then this continues on with the discipleship of those new converts as we teach them what the Bible says. This is our calling. And with this as our calling, we must not fail to recognize that the Lord has commissioned us with his authority. When, when I go preach the gospel to unbelievers... I preach with boldness. Why? Because I'm not standing on my authority. I'm, I've been sent out by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm accomplishing the commission of my King. And with His almighty authority, I preach the good news. 
God the Father has given all authority to his only begotten Son. Therefore, Jesus turned around and gave his authority to us as he calls us to go and preach the good news, the gospel of grace. Are the unbelievers going to hate it? Yep. Are are they going to kick against the goads? You better believe it. Are they going to falsely accuse us and drag our name through the mud? Yep. Are they going to try to persecute us as far as they can? You better believe they will. I just haven't seen where that's a loophole that gives me a, a, a way out. I, I don't see anywhere in the scriptures that says, well, you know, if you're going to get picked on, well, by, by all means, stay home. Haven't found that verse yet. Maybe it's in Second Fleshalonians. I don't know. The one who has all authority told us to go and preach this message. And yeah, they're going to get upset, but how silly is that? That they would get upset with us. I have no doubt that the mailman brings you bad news all the time, namely by way of bills. You ever got mad at the mailman because your electric bill is much higher in the past year? No, why would you blame the mailman? Or mailwoman, whatever. Why would you get mad at them? Why do they get mad at us? When really the problem they have is with God. If you brought them a message they wanted to hear, oh, they'd love you. But you're bringing them a message that brings conviction to their heart. Remember, when they heard the message, they gnashed their teeth because it cut them to the heart. And they got mad at the one just dropping off the mail. Listen, this isn't my message. I didn't make up the gospel message. You didn't make up the gospel. This is not your news. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. We're just the mailmen, the mail carriers. The male Z's and Zers, if you prefer that. Don't prefer that. We're just delivering the news, the good news, that Jesus Christ will save those who trust in him. And this is our commissioning. We've been sent out by the authority of Jesus Christ to preach this good news. Therefore, we can be bold about it. Every Christian should become a bold believer as we preach the gospel of grace. And the reason why is because we're simply accomplishing the great commission, which was given by the one who has all authority. And it's for this reason that we can become bold believers. Let's pray.